All right, guys, welcome. If you'll uh, come on in wherever you are, we're going to get started at 9 and uh, just expect that other people will come and join us for a quipping hour. Uh, looking forward to being together. If you can, uh, we'll leave the balcony for, um, for the second service, but this is a quipping hour, so if you didn't know this was a quipping hour, it's a quipping hour. We're going to have the worship service after this around 10.30. Uh, there's some handouts. I hope you had a chance to grab one of the handouts. But it is uh, good to be back together, and uh, I want to thank you for coming to Equipping Hour. I think this is going to be a really important time for us as a church. So if you're here, I am really glad you're here. This is a, a really important time. We uh, will begin with just a word of prayer and ask that God would uh, use this time in our lives as a church. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we're not saved by being here and being good, but we're saved by the work of Christ. Jesus, you died in our place. You rose from the dead so that we don't have to fear death. You ascended into heaven. You sit at the right hand of God the Father. You love us. God the Father, you made a plan before the beginning of the world to elect us, to... to uh, choose us to be your children, to adopt us into your family. You've given us the spirit. We are a blessed people, and we want to say thank you, and we want to say help. Please, Lord, help us to be the church. Help us to, to be faithful. Help us to be uh, obedient to your word, and uh, Lord, please help us to change and to help each other change, to become more like Jesus Christ, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, this uh, class is an introduction to uh, discipleship and counseling, and we're going to be dividing our time together into two parts every uh, Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to have about an hour to talk, and we're going to divide that hour into two sections, one with a little bit of teaching, and then the second part of our time, uh, discussion. So uh, normally I'll introduce our time together. And then Isaiah will lead us in a discussion and help us think a little more about what we're talking about. We've given out books, so hopefully most of you have been able to get that book. If you haven't, please see Isaiah. That will help you, and he'll uh, let you know uh, what chapter to read for the next time that we come together so we can have a good discussion. But you remember maybe that we're introducing something we call um, transformation groups or T-cells. So these groups are a little new for us, not totally, because we've done something like this before, but they're a little new for us, and uh, beginning in January. And uh, so we're going to spend the next couple months in our equipping hour getting ready for them and making uh, sure that we understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, and all that. Uh, but you know, as we talk about these transformation groups and, and do all this training, it's important you understand that really, even though... Uh, the beginning of these transformation groups is kind of the external reason for this class. The reality is this class is not so much about that structure itself. Um, what we're excited about, what's really driving this is not the structure. The structure is just a means. It's just a tool we're using here at CBC. It could come, it could go, it could be helpful, or we could find out that there's a, a more helpful way. That wouldn't bother me too much. Because what we're really concerned about is the heart, and that is becoming a community where we're equipped to disciple and counsel others. 
So that's what we're seeking to do. We want to be a community where we're all doing the work of the ministry, speaking the truth in love with compassion and with skill. Because uh, really, as long as we know how to do that, we're going to be moving forward as a, as a church. And so uh, maybe you remember the dream quotes from last week, uh, but here's another dream quote that I found this week that's even better. It's from Paul Tripp. It's a little longer, but I love it. It's on your notes there. He's talking about the mission of the church, and he says, what God has ordained for his church is both wonderful and sobering. It's wonderful because he is a jealous and determined God. His work and his people will not fail. We should all say amen. That is good news. But we'll continue until it's completed. It is sobering because this work follows an all of my people, all of the time model. Many of us would be relieved if God had placed our sanctification in the hands of trained and paid professionals. But that is simply not the biblical model. God's plan is that through the faithful ministry of every part, the whole body will grow into full maturity in Christ. We should almost bold print that and memorize it. God's plan is that through the faithful ministry of every part, the whole body will grow into full maturity in Christ. The leaders of his church have been gifted, positioned, and appointed to train and mobilize the people of God for this very purpose, for this every person, every day ministry lifestyle. The paradigm is simple. When God calls you to himself, he also calls you to be a servant, an instrument in his redeeming hands. Extra credit points if anybody knows where, what book this quote comes from. Just quit it. It's instrument in the Redeemer's hands. All of his children are called into ministry, and each of them needs the daily intervention this ministry provides. If you followed the Lord for a thousand years, you would still need the ministry of the body of Christ as much as you did the day you first believed. This need will remain until our sanctification is complete in glory. So there are some quotes you should circle and uh, come back to and ask if you really believe. And that's a good quote to ask if you really believe. If you followed the Lord for a thousand years, you would still need the ministry of the body of Christ as much as you did the day you first believed. That's what this class is about, how God uses people who are themselves in need of change as instruments of the same kind of change in others. In other words, this class is about discipleship, or you could say it's about uh, counseling. And I know that might confuse some people using the words discipleship and counseling back to back like that. But I do that because really discipleship and counseling are related terms. So we sometimes put biblical counseling in a category all by itself. But biblical counseling is really just intensive discipleship. Uh, so we disciple and uh, counseling is part of how we sometimes need to disciple. Uh, there's a particular issue that comes up and we need to sometimes step aside and zone in and focus on that particular issue. But really, that's just part of the overall discipleship process. Another way to say it, because we have a lot of doctors, discipleship is like preventative care, uh, in a sense, and counseling is more restorative. It's Galatians 6.1, someone's stuck. And our transformation groups, in my mind, are, as I imagine them, are going to be a little bit of both, a little bit of discipleship and sometimes uh, counseling. And so we want to talk about that, uh, specifically how to do that, a method for doing that. And that's going to be pretty much the primary thing we talk about over the next few months, really, um, a model or method for a discipleship. Because obviously, if that's the dream, if we're all supposed to be involved in this, then we uh, kind of need to know how, how to do it. 
how do we go about discipling? How do we go about counseling? But before we get into the specifics, first, before we get into the specifics, last week and this week, what we're doing here is laying the groundwork by just talking about some basic convictions or uh, some fundamental issues. And the first one last week was why? Why is this important? Why do we need to be a church that makes disciples? Why do we even bring this up? Why are we talking about this? And uh, to answer that, we looked at Ephesians 4 and talked about spiritual growth. And we saw that spiritual growth is very important in the Bible. And we talked about how spiritual growth is supposed to happen. Now today, we got four more questions that we want to answer real quickly, because I know these are pretty basic questions, but yet I think uh, it's important that we're all on the same page when it comes to these questions. And so we're going to ask, uh, we've talked about why discipleship. Today, we're going to ask, what is discipleship? What do we mean by that? Two, we're going to ask, uh, how do we do it? We won't spend much time there, because we're going to spend most of our time there later. But we're going to ask, how do we do it? A little overview. Then third, we're going to ask, who is supposed to do this? And guess, you, I think you probably already know the answer to that if you read the chapter. And then uh, four, we're going to ask, where is this supposed to happen? So we're talking discipleship, counseling, some basic convictions. These are all pretty simple questions, and we should be able to go through them really quickly. 20 minutes, probably. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, we're going to go through them quickly because we want to get to the second part of the process next week. Um, which is our second part of the class next week, which is looking more carefully at the process, the method. But the method isn't going to do us much good if we're not all committed to these convictions. So let's think a little about what is discipleship. And one reason that's an important question is because a lot of different people have different ideas about discipleship and what it means. And uh, this happens with a lot of words. So there are a lot of words where you'll say something and somebody else will be like, yeah, I, I believe in that. And then you find out actually what they mean by that word is very different. This often happens when a new pastor will come to a church, actually, why sometimes there's complications is because everybody will be like, I believe in this. And they're like, yeah, I believe in this. And then you get into it and you realize, oh, wow, well, we, we believe different things about that. And uh, that's kind of uh, normal. You'll find that uh, with words uh, like dispensationalism and covenantalism. I remember when I was a young pastor, I interned at a church that was uh, very covenantal, and they heard about Master's Seminary, and they said, uh, oh, I can't believe you go to Master's Seminary. It's so dispensational. And I asked them, well, what do you mean by dispensational? And they, didn't, they gave me a definition uh, that wasn't dispensational at all. And then I went back to Master's, and uh, my dad had been a pastor in a Reformed Baptist church for a long time, and so Somebody at Masters actually said, oh, I, I heard something terrible about the, your dad or the ca uh, counseling department at, at Masters, and uh, that is so covenantal. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean by covenantal? And they actually didn't give me a good definition of that either. So um, that probably shouldn't be on the tape. It's not in my notes. But, um, <laughs> uh, but it happens. It happens. It's, it's kind of... Uh, uh, normal for that to happen, but you, you, you maybe wouldn't expect it to happen with a word like uh, discipleship because that word doesn't seem so challenging. But when you talk about the nitty-gritties of uh, discipleship, you find that a lot of people have different understandings of the term. So you'll sometimes ask somebody, have you ever been discipled? And they'll say, uh, no, I've never been discipled. But then you ask them more questions and you realize Actually, you totally were discipled. That, I mean, what do you call that relationship that you had <laughs> and what happened in your life? 
It's just that they had this idea of what discipleship meant in their minds, and uh, it wasn't really a, a biblical idea, maybe. Others you'll talk to, and they think they were discipled, uh, but they actually weren't. So an illustration, we had someone live with us for several months right there in our house, and we spent all kinds of time together with this guy in the car, you know, on the way to doing ministry, doing family devotions together. He would eat dinner with our family all kinds of time, and yet he was disappointed because he thought I wasn't discipling him. And uh, I, when I tried to figure out what he meant, he meant that we didn't have a couple hours sit down every week um, where we work through a book together. And so he had a very specific concept of discipleship, and that wasn't happening. So he didn't see how he was benefiting in other ways. Where, on the other hand, I met people who have gone through workbooks with others, and they learned all kinds of facts. But when you talk to them about what's going on in their heart, it's obvious they never talked about that. And so they learned a lot of information without much transformation. And I'm not sure that's something to be so excited about either. So way back at the beginning, coming to Cornerstone, the elders and I worked our way through a book called The Vine Project, and I think some of you have it. And some of what I'm saying is, is coming from that. But listen to what they say about discipleship. They say, our abiding impression has been that although many people use the language of discipleship and disciple making often, not many people are particularly clear what they mean by it. And sometimes people are clear, but they're just wrong. So it's important because there are different ideas that we just look at a couple passages uh, real quickly that give us a picture of what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship. And uh, obviously, uh, we get the word disciple from the Gospels, and it's there in Acts. Once you get outside of Acts, you don't find the word disciple very often, but you do find the idea. So we'll look at the Gospels and Acts and uh, the letters. But, of course, the first passage that we can look at, and we can do this all very quickly because they're all so familiar, the first passage we, passage we could look at is a classic passage, uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus commissioning the disciples. Um, but we, we take this passage for ourselves as well. It extends past the apostles. And uh, there are a lot of words here, but there's one big command in this passage, if you, if you remember it. The, the command is to make disciples. That, that's, that's the command. And how are they supposed to do that? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that's uh, a comfort. It's, it's um, great news. Then he commands, go, therefore, and make disciples, bold print, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So you have the command, make disciples, and then you have the three components of making disciples there, right? There's going, which implies some intentionality, some movement, not just sitting back, but moving towards people. And then there's baptizing, and we uh, usually think we hear baptizing, and we think immediately dunking in water, uh, of course. But there's more that's assumed there. To get to the point where you're actually baptizing someone, there needs to be sharing the gospel. There needs to be conversions. And then in the early church, baptism was basically like a, a means or of identifying with the, a local church. And, and so there became a point in the life of the early church that baptism was almost like a graduation ceremony that followed a course of instruction where those preparing to be baptized were taught what God had done in Christ. 
And so there is going, and there is preaching the gospel, and helping people learn Christ. And then thirdly, you see it says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So obviously your responsibility is not done after you're, sharing the gospel, you're done sharing the gospel uh, and seeing them saved. That's actually when a lot of the work begins. And that seems like that should be obvious, but if we look historically, it's not always obvious. And uh, it's been a, a problem on the mission field in, in many ways. There hasn't been a, always all of this teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And so what you're wanting to do is try to help people understand the Bible and then see how it is put into practice. And that's discipleship, which is not too complicated. It is obeying God's command to go intentionally after people. And some people you meet, they're not Christians. You start sharing the word with them to help them come to know Christ and become part of the church and help them learn how to obey Christ in their everyday lives. And you meet others who are Christians and you're sharing the word with them so that they will move closer to Christ and uh, be more obedient to Christ. But that's, that's one big passage, Matthew 28. And you see in that passage, there's instruction and there's transformation that we're aiming for in discipleship. We want them to learn and we want them to learn to observe, to learn to obey. Another passage that talks about discipleship is Luke chapter 6, verse 40. And this one we can go through quicker. Uh, but Jesus here is actually talking about making sure you don't choose the wrong disciples. That's kind of the context where he's talking about the Pharisees. But his explanation uh, gives uh, an insight into how he thought about it. He says, a pupil is not above its, his teacher. I don't think, yeah, Luke 640. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. And I just want you to see in Jesus' mind, the point of being a disciple is not just being able to um, answer the right questions, like get an A on the quiz. The point of being a disciple is to be like your teacher. Uh, and so, of course, ultimately, we're wanting to help people become like Jesus. That's discipleship. We are all sitting under Jesus' discipleship together, helping each other conform our lives to his. And that's where you get to Paul's method of discipleship, which was imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul taught and he gave an example. A third passage is Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 3. And this one's famous because it's Paul's uh, ministry philosophy. And in Colossians, uh, really the heart of Colossians is Colossians chapter 2, verses six and seven, where he says, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And so Paul is exalting Christ, and he's doing that in a number of different ways, but one way he does that is by uh, reminding people of his own ministry. And here he says in Colossians 1.28, this is Paul's ministry philosophy, and I think this is a good summary of what we're doing when we disciple. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the full knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And uh, that, I think, is what we're trying to do when we disciple. Uh, we proclaim Christ. So there's teaching that centers on Jesus, and that involves admonishing. That means getting in there and showing people where their lives aren't 
centered on Christ, that requires teaching, helping people know Christ and see his glory, and that requires wisdom. And the goal is that everyone, and you see the, how everyone's emphasized there, everyone would be mature in Christ. And then he describes what maturity looks like. He talks about hearts that are encouraged. He talks about being united with other believers. He talks about assurance. He talks about knowledge of the riches that are in Christ. So that's, that's discipleship. There's going, there's intentionality, there's gospel sharing, there's teaching obedience, there's expecting life change, there's this centering on glorifying Jesus, exalting Christ, there's rebuke, there's instruction for the goal of maturity. Um, and there are other passages that I don't think I have time to read very quickly even, but Galatians 6, 1 and 2, I'll call them to your mind at least. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is about those of you who are spiritual, brothers, I urge those of you who are spiritual to uh, restore those who are stuck in a pattern of sin. So you've got someone who is stuck in a pattern of sin, and you've got a believer who has the spirit. That's basically what it means to be spiritual. Galatians 5, someone who's filled with the spirit, walking according to the spirit, has the fruits of the spirit. You have that person uh, going after someone who's stuck for the goal of restoration. Um, and then you have Titus 2, 3, and 4, where Titus actually says, uh, or Paul tells Titus, teach the older women how to teach the younger women. And I love that. That's not necessarily what you think of as an elder's job or a pastor's job, but it, it is part of a pastor's job, is to teach older ladies how to disciple younger ladies. Not to just go around only discipling all the younger ladies, but to teach discipleship so that that happens. And uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2 Paul is thinking this process not just with older women, but 2 Timothy 2.2, he thinks it with leaders. He says, uh, what you've learned from me, entrust to faithful men uh, who will entrust it to others. And so Paul gives to Timothy, who gives to faithful men, who gives to others. That's, that's discipleship. Then Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and we can look at that one. This one's for all Christians. Uh, one of my, Hebrews has uh, several good descriptions, I think, of what's going on in discipleship. But Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, let us hold fast, or this is verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's basically the heart of Hebrews, right? And uh, how do we do that? Well, part of how we do that is let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good, de good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what does it look like not to neglect the habit of meeting together? Well, it, the opposite of neglecting the meeting together is encouraging one another and uh, stirring one another up to love and good works. So it's not just sitting here. There is this thinking, considering is thinking, and what are you thinking about? You're thinking about how to provoke, uh, and that's usually a negative word, but here he's obviously not using it negatively, but it's kind of like in the car, you know, with your children when one child is poking the others. At first it doesn't always provoke, but like the 10th time he gets it. He gets what he wanted. He provoked that other person to a reaction. And that's what he's saying we're supposed to be thinking about when it comes to love and good works. How do we keep poking each other in a sense until we move forward? Loving God, loving people, and honoring Christ. That's, that's really discipleship. You're sitting back. You're fulfilling this responsibility to meet together by sitting back and thinking hard about how to help the people around you love Jesus and, and do good. 
So if we put all those passages together, uh, we've got teaching, we've got maturity, we've got this idea of a process, we've got everyone, we've got the importance of being spirit-filled, we've got um, transformation, spiritual transformation. Another a way to define discipleship or to think about discipleship is Titus chapter 2, verse 1. And I've, I've, I've said this one before here at the church, but I love it because it's Paul talking to Titus. And he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And what I love about that is we assume we take out what accords with very easily. So we think he's saying teach sound doctrine. And, and we think that because he's supposed to do that. That's part of the purpose of elders in Titus chapter 1. But Titus wasn't to stop with just teaching sound doctrine. He has to teach people how to live in a way that matches up with sound doctrine. And that's really discipleship, uh, being taught how to live specifically in a way that matches up with what we believe. And that's what, if you think about Paul's letters, that's what he's doing all the time. Here's the truth. Here's how to live in light of it. So uh, Ephesians, we talked about that last week. You can think about, I like thinking about Ephesians as a model of discipleship. And so how does it begin? It begins with this amazing gospel, this big picture of what God's doing in the church, and then it moves from there to how we should live in light of that gospel. And that's really discipleship. You're helping people connect the dots. Uh, you, be you became a Christian, you heard the gospel, you learned the gospel, it doesn't end there. Now you have to, to, to actually learn how to live in light of the gospel. And uh, you actually see that in Ephesians 4.20, the way Paul talks about what it means to become a Christian. He puts it in a very interesting way in Ephesians 4.20. He's rebuking, or, they are, or warning them, I suppose, at least. And he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And I like that way of talking about becoming a Christian because it's not just, that's, he doesn't just say you believed Christ. He says you learned Christ. And that involves content. But we see it's also connected with an understanding of how the Christian life works. That's actually the rebuke. He says, don't live like the Gentiles. You can't do that because that's not what you learned. And uh, this is what you learned, and that's verses 21 and 22. You learned to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And then he goes on and says, therefore, because you learned that, this is how you should live specifically. And so that's discipleship. It's kind of like developing a relationship with someone thinking about the gospel and, and trying to help each other make sure the process hasn't got stuck. Um, this is what you believed. These are the implications. It's like when we become Christians, what happens is that, that we learn a whole new way of looking at the world. And uh, a whole, whole, that whole new way of viewing the world should change everything. The problem is that we've got the world's way of looking at things and thinking about things that is constantly being pressed on us. I mean, literally constantly. Even I, I went to meet Francis for uh, lunch this week, and the, the, I think it was the ACIE Bowl. However, am I saying that like an old man, or am I saying that right? <laughs> I can't remember. I always get that in uh, quinoa. Wrong. Um, so whatever, you, however you call that bowl. Um, the, 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 rest, the door there is like, uh, propaganda in terms of this is, I forget what it said, but this is what life's about, basically. And just thinking everywhere we go, the, the billboards, commercials, constantly pressuring a certain way of looking at the world on us. And um, so we need help understanding God's 
totally different way of looking at the world and learning to, to live according to that way of looking at the world. But what happens a lot of times in our lives is that process gets stuck. So we hear the gospel, we accept the gospel, Jesus rose from the dead, our sins are forgiven, that's great, but we don't think through the implications. Like, oh, be, the fact that I'm going to live forever for a billion years, having God's grace poured out on me probably means I shouldn't complain about, um, you know, my boss so much. So we don't, we, we don't connect the dots, and discipleship is helping each other stay on track in this process of living in the light of the gospel we've embraced. So I've been reading a, a book recently called Hearers and Doers, and I like his definitions of discipleship. He says, this is discipleship, knowing how to follow Jesus in any situation. And that's why you need theology to know how to do that. Then he, um, he uses this idea of fitness or training as an illustration. He says, the church is like a gym with its own fitness culture. And so in ancient Greece, the purpose of the gymnasium was to create citizens and soldiers who were fit for the purpose of the city. Today, the church's job is to help believers be fit for the purpose of the heavenly kingdom. Disciple-making is a matter of preparing persons to live as citizens of the gospel. Or another image he uses is being awake. And so he says, we might describe discipleship as the project of helping people to become fully awake and stay awake, by which I mean alert to the opportunities and dangers of the Christian life. True disciples are awake and alert to what is going on in the world, to what is really real, namely the real presence of Christ. So that's good. I like, I like those kinds of definitions. But maybe you'll be helped by some more down-to-earth definitions. Um, and here are some other good ones. Discipleship is about loving people by taking the time to understand them, interpreting their life situations through the grid of Scripture, confronting them with God's framework, and challenging them to engage in the put-off mind renewal and put-on dynamic of Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Here's another one. And discipleship involves walking patiently with someone while wisely connecting them to Christ through the grace-centered message of the Bible. This one-on-one -on -one ministry is done in the community of the church where both normal and complex problems of daily life can be addressed. And then one last one. To come alongside a person, discipleship is to come alongside a person who's struggling and seek to help them apply the principles of God's word in such a way that the person responds in an obedient and godly manner to the problems they're facing, to the glory of God, and the person's own good. Well, we're all struggling, so uh, that's probably more specific to how we think about counseling. But discipleship is helping a person seek to apply the principles of God's word in such a way that they respond to life in an obedient and godly manner. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship and counseling, and that's what we're aiming for in our transformation groups. Now, how, uh, who, where, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I forget what else the other question was, but we don't have much time because I'm already two minutes over, but I can answer these so, so quickly. How, this is what we're going to spend our time on in the weeks to come, so you'll have to come back. Um, how's that for an answer? But four Ps. Proclamation of God's word. It's ultimately God's word that makes disciples. You are constantly being programmed to think in a certain way by your culture that's based on beliefs that are contrary to scripture. The pressure you feel as you face is so powerful it almost feels hopeless and would be hopeless if God left us on our own, but he hasn't. He's given us his word and his, his word has the power to reshape the entire way you look at the world. 
And so we look at Acts, we see God's word turn the world upside down. So proclamation of the word is essential to discipleship. Normally we think of proclamation of the word as just a sort of this kind of ministry, um, the pulpit ministry. And that is an important part of proclamation. But it's also important to understand that when you're sitting down with someone, we talk about expository preaching. We should also talk about like expository conversations, um, expository talking, because that's really discipleship, <laughs> uh, expository discipleship. It's you as you're sitting down with that person, you're trying to help them understand God's word and specifically how it applies to, to their life. This is a quote. Preaching is one form of the ministry of the word, but many other forms are reflected in the Bible and in contemporary Christian church life. It's important to grasp this point clearly, or we shall try and make preaching carry a load which it cannot bear, that is, the burden of doing all that the Bible expects of every form of the ministry of the word. So how's it supposed to work? How's it supposed to work is the, the word ministry of the pulpit enables the word ministry of the pew. Um, another quote, and then I'm, I'm basically going to have to be done. But an expository pulpit is hugely important because it anchors and builds an expository church. That is a church in which every aspect of the congregational life is centered on the speaking of the Bible's message concerning Christ. By their preaching, training, and example, pastors equip every Christian to be a Christ learner who helps others learn Christ. So you got proclamation first, then you got people developing relationships, friendships, What's the difference between a discipler and a car mechanic? Car mechanic, you don't need a relationship with the car to be very helpful. But discipleship assumes that there's going to actually be a relationship. You're going to know that person. Um, partly, I'm, I'm not going to take the time, but it's because that's how God works with us. God builds a relationship with us to change us. He doesn't just, like, throw truth bombs at us. Like, as we're walking, he actually enters into a relationship with us. To, to change us. Third, prayerful dependence on the word of God. And fourth, perseverance. Discipleship takes time, takes time. Uh, quickly, who, who makes disciples? Isaiah's gonna come up and help us think about this, but um, spoiler alert, you, all of us. Uh, that's how it works. And then finally, where? And this is easy to answer too, because the answer is, where does discipleship happen? Everywhere, everywhere, discipleship happens in your families, when you're, you're, even when you don't think you're discipling, you're discipling, actually, in your family. You are giving your children a model, your family a model to follow. So you are discipling. Uh, it's just a question of whether you're doing biblical discipling or not in the family. It ha should happen in the church. It should be happening right now. It's part of what we're trying to do, discipleship. But it should also be happening out there in the world as you interact with people. You're trying to find out where is this person and uh, what do they need to know about Christ and how can I help them see the glory of Christ. And so that's our goal. We want to be a church that makes disciples who makes disciples and that's why we're starting transformation groups just to help us with that, think about that, have it on our minds. And uh, last week and this week I tried to give you a big picture of what we mean when we talk about that why it's important, what we mean by discipleship, how it's supposed to happen, where it happens, who, who does it. And uh, now Isaiah is going to come up and help us think a little more about that.
stay flexible because we're just going to spend some time now. I know that you uh, 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 all were faithful to do the reading, so we're just going to be breaking into groups and spend time discussing what we read. And uh, me and Pastor Joshua have been kind of talking through this as we go, and I see some of you saying, what reading? Um, that's okay. You can uh, be discipled by those people around you. So uh, uh, we are reading together a book called Loving Messy People, and if you're like, I didn't do my reading, then you're one of those messy people. No, the good news is we're all, we are all messy people, and uh, God uh, delights in using messy people in other people's lives, and the reason why is going to be answered by the book. Um, so I am going to be breaking us into groups, really you're going to be breaking yourself, and we're just going to go over some, some questions. The first one you could spend the whole time doing so don't do that with the first question. The first question is, when were you messy and someone cared for you? You could totally spend the rest of the time talking about that, and it would be very encouraging. But maybe one or two people in your group want to share. And if no one does because you're like, no, I don't want people to know that I'm messy, then, uh, then, then we can save that for future weeks. We, are, uh, we, we have a list of questions. Just kind of pace yourself. Go through them. I think that you can take them home, and if you don't, uh, if, you, if we don't get through all of them here, it's just fine. I think that you could enjoy uh, talking through them at home or meeting with someone during the week. We're going to read chapter two for next week. Probably a warning. At some point, we may try to double up chapters, uh, but we'll start slow and, and, and do a chapter a week. Um, if you didn't get a book, please let me know because I've got the uh, first three chapters copied, and I will order some more. We're right there. I just need to figure out how, how many more copies we need to, 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 to order. It is, it is one is one per family, uh, although uh, um, college kids are, are, are welcome to their own copy, especially the photocopy one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so what we're going to do now is just basically spend the rest of our time talking about the first chapter. Okay, so getting in groups of like eight, ten. My father... We are humbled by the plan that you have, and it's a good plan, a plan that brings glory to you because we uh, really are uh, very messy people, and we so needed a Savior, and we thank you, Lord, that what you're doing is making us to be like him, and, uh, and Father, I think that sometimes we get confused uh, that, that uh, uh, how big the distance is, is between us and him, and we spend a lot of time looking around at others kind of being jealous we're not more uh, better instead of being used by you. Uh, Lord, pray, Father, that you would use us in one another's lives. Pray, Father, that this would be a whole culture uh, being increasingly cultivated of us listening to Jesus, taking his instructions seriously to be making disciples, to not being on the sidelines or in the bleachers, but out on the field uh, doing the best that we can. And I thank you for your spirit that you give to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for how convincing your word is. And uh, so help us, Lord, between the uh, passages that uh, Joshua shared this morning and reading the book, Lord, that we would really be doing heart work of saying, am I willing to obey? Because uh, we want to be good disciples. Uh, please, Lord, bless the rest of the morning. In Jesus' name, amen.